1: This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bird. Get that bird in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up yeah. Yeah. Good boy. Good boy, Ranger. Uniting houndsmen across the globe, from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. On this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, I've got Mr. John Boland coming back in the house for you to listen to. Last time he was on here was episode 125, Shaking Hands with the HSUS. It was one of our biggest episodes we've ever produced, and John shared all of the things that the animal rights extremists are using against us and how they are strategizing to take away our freedoms. Well, we are going to shift gears in this podcast. John and I are still going to talk about how we can live simple and live free. We are facing unprecedented times in my lifetime for sure of fuel prices, food shortages, economic downturns, all of the things that affect us as houndsmen. If you can't put gas in your truck to go hunting, then you gotta come up with some other options. If you cannot afford the grocery bill, cutbacks have to be made somewhere, either in hounds, feeding your hounds, caring for your hounds, whatever that is, we've gotta find a way to survive this tsunami of economic challenges that we have facing us right now. There is no doubt about it that houndsmen are survivors. We are self-sufficient, self-sustaining, We make our own gear when we can't afford it. We find our own ways to take care of our hounds and do a lot of home veterinary and stuff. And this is right in that same vein. I want to set the stage for this podcast by reading from the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Folks, there really is a season for everything and one thing that I have found in my lifetime and throughout my hunting career is when I keep those seasons in perspective and take care of the things that need to be taken care of when they need to be taken care of, then I enjoy my time in the woods a lot more. Right now is the height of garden season. And I grow a garden so that I can afford to do other things in my life. It's also nice to take to camp. When you're taking those canned goods and food that you're preparing now to camp with you, that is so rewarding. There has never been a better time for you to start thinking about how to be more sustaining self-sustaining there's never been a better time to start expanding your knowledge of how to live simple and how to live free the old south dog box is rocking let's get the tailgate down it's time to dump the box Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog trade dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Gerth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. All right, we are in Martinsville, Indiana, on the outskirts at an undisclosed compound. John Bowling. <laughs> I got you. Thanks a lot
0: for putting me on the target, now, on the list now.
1: Yeah. You Com- got, compound, uh-oh. You got back on the list last fall when you, uh, when you did that first podcast with me. Yeah, yeah. And
0: we've yeah. been
1: waiting and trying and thinking about what we we're going to do for round two. But uh, mm-hmm. what episode was that? You remember? I don't. I, don't I should really. know that that's kind of my that's kind of my job to know that sort of stuff uh episode one twenty five is the first one we aired and uh just to give a real brief backstory we talked about your work in law enforcement and then going to work for a s p c a and things like that and uh the when i first met you then uh and came here and I thought, man, we got to do a follow-up podcast about some other stuff, and that's what we're going to do mm-hmm. today. We're going to talk about uh, something that's a little bit different than than what we do on the normally do on the Housman XP podcast. But we're going to talk about self-sustained living mm-hmm. and the importance of knowing how to do that. Um, it goes right along with what we talked about in the first podcast about being self-reliant and not dependent on the government to supply things for us and that's what we as houndsmen really want we don't need the government to come in and we just we just need them to leave us alone mm, right right <laughs> and uh <clears throat> we'll go out in the garden here in a little bit and look around and and i want to talk to kind of draw some word pictures for our audience and stuff but uh, uh give us an idea how much property of. First off, John, I'm getting way ahead of myself. I'm so wound up to record this podcast. <laughs> what have you been up to all winter? That's what we ought to talk about first. Um, well,
0: uh, winter's, winter's a slow time for me. It's, I kind of, fortunately, um, you know, I'm self-employed, at least for the time being. And uh, I have been for about five years, and I've been self-employed, so... I'm in the construction business and um, exterior construction work. So in the winter, if I'm fortunate enough to be able to put a little back where I can kind of chill through the winter, mm-hmm. uh, no pun intended. Yeah, uh, not too <laughs> that, chilly, though. Yeah, that's that's what I do. So, I mean, I and winter it gives me an opportunity to go out. I've been really fortunate to have met some people that um, have invited me to do some speaking engagements throughout the country in winter fall and winter um is a good time for me to do that I travel and um do speaking engagements uh, Yeah,
1: cuz so since we talked I think you've been to you went to Holmesville with was that with Protect the Harvest?
0: Yeah, uh, Holmes County um
1: Yeah, Holmes County, Ohio. Yeah,
0: that was the uh, Protect the Harvest fundraiser that they had out there and yeah. um I was uh, fortunate enough to be able to speak there at that event and um um I go to a lot of the, um, uh, like dog breeder association meetings Mm -hmm. and, um, speak there. Is that my dog barking in the background there?
1: I'm not sure if it's yours (laughs) or if it's mine. I brought the, I brought (laughs) the tough with me. So, uh, uh,
0: it just, for some reason I I heard, I just barely heard that, but I, I think your listeners are probably used to hearing, uh, barking dogs
1: yes and that's it, it, totally acceptable in this podcast <laughs> we we'll
0: just let him bark then yeah yeah <laughs> uh but yeah i mean that's what um in the winter i don't i don't do a lot um keep the wood stove fired up
1: there you go and, uh, what sort of things uh when you go to the protect the harvest fundraiser and you speak what sort of topics are you talking about what they generally
0: um are interested in hearing from me is my experience um Working for the ASPCA, mm-hmm. my experience um, with the animal rights groups, and becoming a uh, whistleblower, uh, basically against uh, against the, the the lies and the misinformation that the animal rights groups put forth, and that that's what I like to speak about and, and try to educate folks about.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and and really, that that has kind of evolved over the years into. The bigger picture of what these what these organizations represent, and the bigger picture, the bigger threat um, that um, groups like them pose for mm-hmm. for the country as a whole, and for our individualism and our our self sufficient. Um, you know, this country was founded by self sufficient people uh, that didn't need any kind of intervention. Um, didn't need handouts they they stepped up and they did uh, what they had to do to survive and whether that was hunting fishing uh, farming uh, bartering with your with their neighbors um, family units were close yeah you know um,
1: no he's fine you can okay. let him bark <laughs> okay if it's not unless he needs, unless he needs to come in he did say he's a house dog. Let, so. let, yeah,
0: unfortunately. Let me go see if I can get him back in here. So he does, his barking is distracting me probably more than it is you. All right, go so ahead. Let me see. I'll I just
1: can. fill this in. Uh, so uh, everybody needs to go and everybody just should. If you haven't heard episode 125, it gives the whole backstory on John, his history with law enforcement, how he went to work, uh, ended up going to work for the ASPCA the horrors that he saw in that organization which caused him to quit and then get hooked up with protect the harvest and Trent Loose and and start doing speaking tours across the country so you'd be doing yourself a big favor not to dive any deeper into this podcast and go check out episode 125 and uh hear john's backstory on that but uh john you and i share that that same background and and we've worked in a lot of those same same areas uh and it's strange that you get two former government employees that uh are skeptical of the government (laughs) right Right. Uh, Right. I love my country but I don't trust my government yeah and yeah but we're not we're not going to bash government that's not this isn't a political podcast we're going to talk about the things that places that we can things we can do and the the things that truly make us free and you're doing it right here yeah
0: I appreciate that it's uh I, I hope that I am you know it's we can talk about it. We can complain about everything. We can we can we can uh fall into the the uh, fear and the paranoia and the panic of of the current situation with inflation and shortages. I mean that this stuff's all real. It's very real. You all you have to do is go in the grocery stores and you see and you talk to these people that are actually in you know, we it it was interesting. it's interesting because Let me add something there yeah, real quick. Sure.
1: The you know, we can all get on Facebook and complain about it. Mm-hmm. That's easy. Yeah, that's easy to do. Uh, but you're actually doing something here to try to make a difference, not for the world, but for you and your family. That's where it starts. And right. and you said you've got a co-op going on here with about three different families, and we'll talk about that in a second and see how that's working out. But. Just getting on Facebook and griping about stuff and then going and buying your groceries at Walmart <laughs> isn't solving the problem. Absolutely. And Absolutely. and all of this stuff, the reason I wanted to do this on the Houndsman XP podcast is because when we look back at history, when our country started, that's where all the roots for our hound hunting, that's where our hunting culture comes from. That's where our hounds come from. Uh, it was a lifestyle for those people. To, to be able to survive in that that environment and on the landscape and and I want to talk about how how we can continue to do that in twenty the twenty first century. Right. You know? Right. So there's I'm I'm excited then
0: because I love that topic. Yeah. I, I love that topic. And I'm I'll say in the outset, I'm I'm I don't claim to be any kind of an expert. I don't claim to have you know, I don't have a YouTube channel where I get on there and I'm not bashing the YouTube guys, but, you know, there's a lot of everybody feels like they got to have some kind of of public notoriety, some kind of social media notoriety, some kind of presence that um, they can get patted on the back. Well, Mm -hmm. my pat on the back is the way I feel when I'm eating pork and beef and chicken and eggs and produce that came off of my property. And mm-hmm. I'm watching my family sit around this big table and eating those things. And knowing that I could literally, what I have now, on what we have, this co-op, um, what we have as far as livestock and produce that's in the ground growing and producing now, we could literally, now, you know, we'd have to give up some of the things, the treats that you get when you yeah. go out. Um, I
1: didn't see any Snicker bars growing. <laughs> <up> there.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's no ice cream <laughs> machines out there. Uh, other, There is kind of an ice cream machine across the road, though, Jersey Milk Cow.
1: Yeah. But Have um, you ever we, made it out of goat's milk? Huh? No, really? no. That is the best. I'm, hey, I'm open to try it. Have you got a milk goat out there? We,
0: we have a, a little goat that she could be milked. Yeah. She's pregnant right now. I think you she go. could be milked. Yeah. You, you know more about goats than I do. You could probably tell me later on if we look at her. But, um, you know, it's all about the udder and the teats, right? That's I mean, right. Milk milk any a cow a camel a goat a sheep seth hall wants to milk,
1: milk <laughs> jackrabbits so they're the densest they he claims it and he's a biologist he's a wildlife biologist okay. he's, a, he's a jackrabbit rodent nut uh-huh. and uh he claims that the highest calorie nutrient dense milk comes from the jackrabbit uh, well that's so what it says. well be, hey if they can milk an
0: almond they can milk a rabbit <laughs> <laughs>
1: Don't encourage it. <you.
0: laughs> That's great. I know that rabbits are a great source of quick meat.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: you know, they're, we we have the rabbits are across the road at the neighbors, and, and he has the big white, uh, like California whites, the big meat-producing yeah. rabbits. And, um, you know, they're raised with the chickens and stuff are right underneath them. Mm-hmm. So they're dropping everything they drop and waste, the chickens pick up. And – uh, that that rabbit manure is the best fertilizer
1: absolutely the best absolutely let's, let's, let we'll get into the techniques in a minute yeah what what got you to this point um you know i've always i was raised
0: this way i was raised um out of necessity because we were we were two families and and even a piece of another family uh all all together in one house um the house right up the road from here and Uh, my dad was he worked and my mom stayed at home Mm -hmm. she didn't have she really didn't have a choice there were so many of us hooligans at home there was no way she could I mean we would have torn the house to the ground if if they were if she tried to work outside the home (laughs) so she she had a much harder job which was staying home and raising a bunch of kids and dealing with everything there but my dad was a mailman and he wasn't making a fortune and he was raised, uh, born in 1935 and, and was, was raised up, you know, right after all the depression and everything. And, um, it was just something that we were just raised that way. We didn't know really that there was anything different. Mm-hmm. We, we just, um, to have a big garden and, and our garden was, um, on some of the old ground that used to be in the family, not very far from here. We could walk there with, and we did several times pushing wheelbarrows and stuff down the road. Right, um, the garden was what my dad uh, would refer to as a truck patch, big garden, and and a lot of times half to one full acre of, mm-hmm. of garden. I mean, you just you couldn't see standing at one end of the row of tomatoes, you couldn't see the other end unless you know you had to walk to it. Yeah, and and we would can uh, we. Uh, not me, but my mom and my aunt and my grandma and everybody in the fall, uh, would get together. We would go harvest everything and, and all the ladies in the family would, um, process all of that. And yeah. we had a basement under the house. It was just an unfinished concrete block wall basement. And the, the length of that basement had shelves and they were full mm-hmm. of, of canned, canned produce. And, um, that's just the way we were raised and and I'm so thankful i've I've said that over the course of the past few years with all this stuff that's been going on, all the uncertainty and the fear. I am so thankful that I was raised that way, yeah, I was milking cows uh before I went to school in mm. grade school i mean we were mil- I was milking cows when I was five six years old, right uh hand milking we always had at least one sometimes two milk cows yeah and um got on the school bus and went to school a lot of times with, with cow manure on my boots and get have to stomp it off before I went in class <laughs> or get in trouble. And um <clears throat> you know we were raised that way. And and to me um it just makes sense.
1: You know, makes sense. I, I've I've said this before. People we came from I'm the oldest of six. We had a small farm. We raised pork we you know we raised a couple pigs it was it wasn't it wasn't an operation right it was it was a couple pigs that Mm -hmm. when you got six kids in your family you got plenty of slop to feed hogs yeah Yeah. Um, not that we were wasteful but you just you you just did that and we had beef and we had chickens and we we had a big garden and we did the same thing Mm -hmm. you know I remember sitting under the uh, under the shade tree and snapping beans and and mom would take them in and Next thing you know, the counter is full of of processed green beans. Right, and uh, one of the things that Dad did to us that <clears throat> that that I pro- I probably held it against him my whole life. <laughs> um, and he would he would let some beans go to seed so that we could so that we could. He, oh, we're going to have shell out beans. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going we're going to have dried beans. And I remember the hours and hours and hours we spent shelling beans to get a bowl full of beans, yeah, you know. yeah. And I'm walking through the store, and there was a bag of dried beans on the shelf for 35 cents. And I was just like, <laughs> what the hell are we doing? That was yeah. the yep. light bulb moment for me. I was right. like, what are we doing? It became obvious to me the only reason I was shelling beans was because if I wasn't, I was going to be tearing something up. Yeah. And Dad had yeah. to keep us busy all day long while
0: right, right. he was
1: working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm
0: sure that's part of it, but, you know. We had milk cows, too. Yeah. Yep. Um, it did keep us out of trouble. Um, am I echoing there a little bit? It sounded like the sound changed a little bit on me. I moved my mic to take a drink.
1: Yeah, you're good. I don't
0: know about all this technology. We could just sit on the bench in front of the feed store and whittle a stick and talk. That's right. <laughs> um but, yeah, I mean, that's we, we were busy, too. We didn't have a lot of downtime to get into trouble. I and mean, we got into our share of trouble, for sure. But um, there, we were a lot busier living out in the country and living that way. And, and we we always had something we could go do. I mean, the these hills and hollers, you know, all the creeks flowing through them and all the little fishing ponds everywhere you get. Uh,
1: I am going to help you with that mic placement. Yep. There you go.
0: All right. That'll
1: help us a bunch. Good. Yep.
0: Um but yeah, I mean that that's a different different time in life. And you I wouldn't let my kids I mean, I'm not gonna s I'm not gonna jump to that conclusion and say that because I did let my kids run the neighborhood with their friends and stuff, but we live in a different time and it's as you know from our background and profession, um Ignorance is bliss sometimes, mm-hmm. and, and doing what we did for a living, you see the evil side of the world, and it's tough. It's tough to let your kids run and go um, knowing what kind of evil is out there that they could possibly encounter these yeah. days. And, uh, but, you know, I, I've been guilty over the past couple years of, of jumping on the, this bandwagon and that bandwagon and going down a, a big negativity Rabbit hole. And um, I'm going to get away from that because we can be realistic and understand that we do have some serious problems, Mm -hmm. Um, all facets of life. We have some serious issues that need to be taken care of in this country. But there's still a lot of good. There's still a lot of good. There's still a lot of good people. Um, People need to get to know their neighbors again. You know, there's there's neighbors that don't have a clue what their neighbor looks like, uh, what they do for a living. Not that that's any of our business, but you know what I'm saying.
1: Well, back during the covid, when covid first kicked off, remember how everybody was pretty much quarantined in our houses or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of people were buying into that. And what I saw and I even mentioned it maybe on the podcast, what I saw during that time period, especially in town you know, families were sitting on the por- front porch, mm-hmm. and they were talking to the family on the front porch next to them. Right, right. When's the last time that happened? I know, I and, know. And we started seeing that sort of stuff, and people started to, to wake up at that point, I think. Mm-hmm. And now, um, now we're looking at a situation where, we're we're hearing about the food shortages and the fuel and everything else and if people don't know how to do some of the stuff that you're doing here or co-op with people that do Mm -hmm. then there's going to be some real problems yeah there is and and yeah not to be negative because what we what we discussed before we're not going to dwell on the problems we're going to focus on solutions absolutely and when we can when we can show that that you can grow food and and you can preserve food and you can do this stuff, that gives you another sense of freedom. You Mm -hmm. don't have to be dependent on people. Absolutely. And and people, the government does not like that.
0: No. No. (laughs) They they don't. They don't. Certain – Certain branches of government, for sure, want us to be completely dependent on them. They want to control everything we do.
1: That's what got Britain, Britain in trouble about 245 years ago. <laughs> we true. figured out that we didn't need them. That's true. Yeah. That's right. We got
0: tired of it. Yeah. We got tired of it, and, and uh, guys came up out of the hills and hollers and said, let's go.
1: Yeah. Yep.
0: Uh, you know, I, I don't advocate any kind of, of violence um, uh, to trying to correct things Um, there's a there's another way that we can have a revolution in this country and that is by becoming self-sufficient again yeah by getting back to the small neighborhoods the small communities just stop participating in this system stop participating in the rat race Uh, start bartering with your neighbors don't exchange cash exchange goods for goods the irs doesn't want to hear that IRS doesn't want anything to do with that. In fact, the IRS will ask you sometimes if you're audited. They'll ask you. I heard this from a friend that was self-employed. Uh-huh. I'll probably get audited now. Um, he said they asked him if if he bar ever bartered for his services. He he was in the logging business. Oh yeah. And and he said no. I'm always just lost. Yeah. He said I always just lose. I you know. Right. There's
1: no. So so what was the tipping point? That how long have you been? How long have you been doing this? I call it backyard gardening. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's even a book out there called Backyard Gardening. Oh yeah, yeah, and uh, read it. But <clears throat> so I don't call it that. It's a name I picked up. Mm-hmm. But how long have you been in homesteading? Such a cliche term because we're not it homesteading. Is. This this place has been developed for right 175 right, years. Right,
0: homesteading is the new the new fad phrase. <clears throat> um, all the and I even call you know I have a Facebook page for our our little co-op and call it a homestead, but which uh, I'm
1: on. Yeah, that's right. Participate in that. Yep.
0: And, um, so, I mean, I'm guilty of that too. It's, it's a catchy word,
1: sure, but, um, Uh, it's descriptive. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, but to answer your question, we, we have lived here on this little piece of property for uh, 20 years now. And, um, it, it started then. I, I, I've always had a garden, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, I was raised with, you know, growing gardens and, 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 animals for food and had my own garden when I was 15, 16 years old, I'd plant my own little separate gardens. And so ever since then, I mean, all, all my life, I don't think I've gone one season without having a garden of some kind. And on this particular piece of property, it's been a continual, um, Evolution, and it. I'm going to use this opportunity to give some advice that I feel is very valuable advice to anyone that wants to become more self-sufficient. I'm not going to say completely self-sufficient, although we could. Anybody can become <coughs> completely self-sufficient, but but start small.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Don't don't look at some of these other places and like. I mean, if you if you looked at my place and I've got a, a good aerial view photo of this place um, just from a few months ago. My son-in-law brought home a big bucket truck from work and, and to change a light bulb out of a security light. And Anyway, he sent me up in it as high as it would go, and I, I took pictures, and I <coughs> thought, wow. I mean, it, it just looks totally different yeah. from that point of view. You can really see how every square foot of this place is being utilized for something edible. Right. And – um.
1: On one acre.
0: Yeah, one acre. And and not even one full acre that is being used. Because you I'm, do I'm, have
1: grass out here. You've got, yeah, a, there's you've got a, a lawn. there's
0: little patches of grass out here that have to be mowed and stuff. It's not all um, edible yet. And there's, you know, you yet. go down over the hill. Yeah, yet You go down <coughs> over the hill, and, and there's still some wooded area here that goes down to a little creek that's part of my one acre that hasn't really been tapped into for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, But... To answer that question, um, it's been a work in progress and evolution of, of adding this and that and seeing what works. I've, I've built little things, little um, animal enclosures or, or uh, garden areas, garden spots. I've planted certain trees and things, and I've dug them up, moved them. I, mm-hmm. I've, I've tore down little buildings that I've built over the course of 20 years and decided that that wasn't the right spot. When you have this small space, you really gotta do what's best um, yeah. to utilize the space you got and you have all the considerations, especially with this being on on a hillside basically um water runoff the other day we got a had a really hard downpour for about ten minutes
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it I looked out the window and I could see where all the water was naturally going, and I took pictures of it because that's an opportunity to see where you need to put in swells or you need to divert the water from one point to the other uh, to cause less erosion and to be able to capture that water. Mm-hmm. I've got all these little buildings I have out here. Um, eventually, my goal is to have a way to catch that water mm-hmm. off of every building and use that water to water animals and to water gardens and whatever else. Um, so, you know, start start small, even if it's... Everybody knows how rewarding it is to grow a tomato plant and to harvest those tomatoes you know there's jokes going on Facebook about you know i'll I'll have in in a few weeks i'll I'll be able to harvest a twenty five cent tomato that cost me twenty five dollars to get to this point <laughs> you know it's not about it when you start small scale it's not about that necessarily it's not about you're you're not going to save a ton of money right everybody knows you can go to the grocery store and buy this crap they call produce and this garbage they call food you can buy it for a little or nothing but these unless you're going to local farmers markets and even a lot of those local farmer markets i'm going to get i'll get diverted. you'll have to reel me in here but some of these local farmer markets are in my opinion they're just well they're they're they're
1: they're buying their their produce from excess sales and end up at these produce auctions yeah they haul it into their store and they're selling it to you and it's the same thing that you're buying at kroger
0: they're peeling the little stickers off of it, yep. and putting it in your yep. on their. A table. lot of times it
1: is, unless you can go yeah. on. A, unless you can go to the market and see the tomato growing, or the corn growing, or the beans growing, mm-hmm. then we've got a we've got a, a vegetable wholesale market auction house right down there where I live, mm-hmm. and people will go to the city to the to the uh, warehouse and grab the excess and bring it down there and sell it. Mm-hmm. It was grown in the same place that the Kroger tomato and, and I'm no expert on this at all, but I have listened to some different things about the nutritional quality of the vegetables that we are buying in our supermarkets Mm -hmm. is not even in the same spectrum of what you can grow on your own property. We are, we are robbing (laughs) ourselves of nutrients and and vitamins and everything by eating this stuff. Absolutely.
0: I'm, just like you, I'm no expert on this whatsoever, and I, I said earlier, I think um, the proof is in the pudding. I don't have to be an expert. All I know is how damn good that tomato tasted. That's right. It's, it's Because it's, it's coming, it's on the ground, and a lot of it is a placebo thing, too. It's just the joy of knowing you grew that. But there is a lot, of, I believe there's a lot to be said about that tomato that's pulling those nutrients out of the ground all the way to the stage where it's ready to be eaten. Mm-hmm. It's not, we're not growing hybrid tomatoes that we're picking green because we know they're going to ripen yeah. on the way from California or wherever, Mexico, to here.
1: And if they don't, and, we gas them and we turn them red. Yeah,
0: yeah. Your, your body knows. When you eat something that you grew that's full of those nutrients and full of those vitamins... That's why it tastes so good, because your body's saying I'm starving for this. Yeah. your body's screaming for those nutrients and that 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 health that comes from growing your own food.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'm not an organic gardener, you know. I've tried,
1: but you you've know, got a lot of organic stuff going on. I do. There, yeah. There's
0: a lot of organic. I I don't use a lot of chemicals and fertilizers and stuff. I use natural fertilizer. There's plenty of that around here with all mm-hmm. the animals we have. But I'm not going to try to profess to be some kind of organic gardener either. You have to do what works best for you.
1: And I like a little roundup. I'm not going to lie.
0: Yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it saves on, There's, it
1: saves on weed eating time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I would like. we were talking about marigolds. Um, yeah. And uh, they're proven. They're proven to, you plant those in between rows of stuff and they'll, They'll keep some insects away, and they'll attract beneficial insects. I have uh, like native wildflowers planted in patches all over this acre yeah. to, to draw to draw pollinators mm-hmm. and, and beneficial insects. Um, but you know, it's it's all about it's it's. I like the libertarian approach to to most things in life, and that's just let a guy grow the stuff the way he wants to grow it. Yeah. The the main thing is just start doing it start doing it Mm -hmm. Uh, till you up a spot in your yard and and to hell with HOAs and and rules and regulations about how pretty your grass is supposed to be. Grow something edible. I was listening to something recently and I I can't remember the name of the of the podcaster, or the YouTube channel it was on but it was a, a military former military couple and they're doing permaculture and which Permaculture is another thing I've delved into a little bit, and I'm trying to practice that here. And
1: I'm not even familiar with it.
0: Yeah, well, I'm not going to profess to be an expert, but permaculture is is using is planting um, your trees and your berries and your perennial vegetables and different things and annuals in a way that mimics nature. You take advantage of the natural flow of the water through your land and. You there's there's trees with a certain kind of berry or mm-hmm. herb that grows well next to it under the shade of it, and you get that going. And you the idea of you know, I could be wrong here, but I what I've gathered from what I've read about it and studied about it is the idea is that once you get that food forest going, that permaculture um, setup, that you can walk away from it and it'll be it'll take care of itself. It'll it'll take care of itself. Just like in nature. Yeah. When when you see plants that are growing well together and producing without any kind of human intervention whatsoever. Right. It, you can do that on your own property. So I'm I'm delving into that a little bit here and, and trying to go in that direction. So when um my time as being the caretaker of this little tiny piece of dirt, um is gone, that somebody can walk through and be like, Wow, this is cool. Yeah. And, yeah. and they can pick an apple, and they can pick a peach, and they can, uh, you know, that's what it's all about.
1: Well, okay, so somebody somebody listen to this podcast, and I'm telling you that I want to tell people and I, <clears throat> make sure that they understand why this is important to me. So this fall, when I go to bear camp, I'm going to have vegetable soup that's already canned, and it's going to go to bear camp with me, and that's going to be a meal. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> i'm gonna have processed meat that you know either sausages or something that go to bear camp or on a hunting trip with me so this is all stuff and that that we can utilize now um, to prepare us and and help us enjoy our times in the field even more and have that understanding so if somebody's listening to this podcast and they are like okay well i've always thought about doing this give us some ideas of where people can find information and uh, how you got your start and some of the things you lean on to learn some of the things you've learned, John.
0: Okay. Um, And, you know, right now, of course, there's so much available online. But I'm from the generation, I'm telling my age, that was pre-internet where you actually had to pick up a book and read it. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you had to ask an elder for advice. You had to go hang out in the garden with somebody or, or, or watch a hog being butchered or whatever. Yeah. Um, and that's really the best way. But there are some great resources out here um, that you can still get in hard copy book. And I, I feel like that it's important to do that. Get, get as many magazines that you can in hard copy books because when the grid does go down, when we when we're restricted access to, um, this is going to sound like conspiracy theory stuff. We, well, it, we've it, got it, the tinfoil hats it, right, right yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead and get those tinfoil hats because now we're probably. Being <laughs> In fact, I hear radio transmissions coming through my <laughs> my filling. Um, <laughs> but we um, we've just it, become
1: too dependent on it.
0: Yeah, we've become too dependent on it. I've, and I've got a good friend uh, Trent Luce, and I'll be seeing him. Um, at Mount Rushmore on Independence Day, Um, he will not use a GPS. It drives me nuts. He will not. He'll drive from one side of the country to the other, and I've been in the passenger seat with him, and I'm like, Trent, I'm turning on the GPS. He said, no, you're not. You turn on that GPS, I'm going to throw your phone out the window. He said, we got to know how to get from one place to another without that.
1: GPS has turned me into a dumbass. I used to be able to navigate anywhere because we had to. Mm Mm-hmm. And and now, just coming here today, you know, I used to, if I'd have been here one time, I'd have known how to get back here. Yeah. And even today, I was like, okay, just hit the address and let it take me. Right.
0: It, you said it, though. GPS and the internet has turned us into dumbasses. We don't have to retain anything anymore. Yeah. We don't, we don't uh, retain anything to memory. We don't, um, we don't need
1: to. How many phone numbers did you know when you were a kid?
0: Several, I mean, you had to have them memorized. I knew my grandma's phone number seven six five three four two six six five four.
1: Yep. Um, my uh, home my number home was no- yeah eight one two five seven nine five one five one. Yeah. My best friend's number, I can recite it. You know, my dad's work number, I knew it. Yep. I don't even remember my wife's cell phone number right now because right. it's in my phone, and I boom, I can hit it. Yep.
0: Yep. So, getting back to your original question. Um, you know, before I say that, this is this will be hilarious too because of my point. It's nice to know somebody that can derail just as easily as I can. <laughs> and we 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 could talk. Hey, we we're going to talk about these books. We could start up. We could start on one thing and end up way over here somewhere else. And you and the listeners are like, man, these guys just ramble. Come on, get to the point. This is boring the hell out of us. Uh, the books, okay. Two. I've got two laying right here in front of me. The Encyclopedia of Country Living by Carla Emery. Um, this is this is the updated ninth edition, and there's probably it's probably up to the tenth, eleventh, twelfth edition by now. I don't know how old this one is, but this book literally from front to back would be all you need. It's the Bible of of country living. Mm-hmm. Everything you need to know about growing food, uh, processing animals, building animal enclosures, uh, preserving food. Um, everything is in here
1: and does it talk about like canning everything and all so of it. pressures that e- you need to set your pressure canner at and A- all of it it's in that one it's book. in it
0: it's in it it and down here at the bottom it says over 600,000 copies sold I don't these people need to pay me for what I just said I think they need to send me some money yeah I mean we should be able to profit off of promoting this <laughs> <laughs> yeah and that the other one that you and I both love, and, and we both have the full set of them, is the Foxfire books. Mm-hmm. I mean, this the Foxfire books going way back earlier than this Encyclopedia Country Living. And um, this one right here says hog dressing, log cabin building. Oh, and for, for the modern era people, hog dressing doesn't mean we're putting pink tutus on our pigs. Yeah. Ho- hog dressing means we're killing them, and we're butchering them, and we're preserving them, and we're eating them. Yeah. So... Take the lipstick off the hog and dress. <laughs> we may it have to put <laughs> some lipstick
1: on this hog before yeah. it's over.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh mountain crafts and foods, planning by the signs, uh snake lore, hunting tales, uh faith healing, moonshining and other affairs of plain living. There's just again, it's just resources that are so valuable. What yeah. was that in there? Is that a picture in there or something?
1: Yeah. Yeah, looks like it's a Father's Day card. Oh, okay. It wasn't a naked <clears throat> picture of anybody.
0: Thank God. That's what I was afraid of. <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, I'm going to try to find – you keep you keep going on this. I'm going to try to find a picture. Um, I'm going to tell you, and people will understand why, where my madness started. Okay.
0: so Yeah, these are the two resources. I mean, I have a, a library full of this kind of stuff. Uh, but these are the two big ones, in my opinion, that you could – if you had these – um and had a few hand tools um you could start on your path to being self sufficient so this is the knowledge you need is here you just you'd have to have the energy and the know-how to get out there and start doing it um, but you know people overcomplicate things they really do i i feel like that simplicity is the key when you're when you're constructing a you know like here on my place, I have one thing on my list that construction will start this year um, that I don't have is a root cellar, but I will have a root cellar. But you need you need a place to preserve food, a way to preserve food that doesn't require refrigeration, and that would be a smokehouse. You can cold smoke meats um, to be preserved long term. Um, and a root cellar gives you the ability to store a lot of produce. A lot of root crops will last well through the winter and into the next growing season mm-hmm. in, a, in a root cellar. Um,
1: have you ever Have you ever dug the the hole in the ground and then lined it with leaves or straw?
0: I, have you I, ever used that method for I like have,
1: cabbages and stuff?
0: I have not, but but that was my dad. My dad, rec- you know, he talked about that. He mm-hmm. said they would dig a hole and, um, you know, four or five feet deep mm-hmm. and, and put straw in the bottom of it right? and put a stack of apples in there Yep. and then another layer of straw and another stack of apples. And, and in the winter, they would just go, they'd have a piece of plywood or a piece of old tin over the top of it with a rock on it. And because um, you you want to keep it somewhat dry, you want something to shed the watershed off of the top of it. Yeah. Um, And that was their little mini root cellar. Mm -hmm. And it kept that that kind of stuff all winter long, no problem.
1: You remember back in the day you'd pull into somebody's, a lot of these old homesteads around here, when you drove through the county, it looked like a roof Mm -hmm. in the yard that was only about a foot up off the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. And that was people, that was a root cellar. People would go in, there would be a stairway off of one end and you'd go down in that hole. Yeah. There's about six feet deep and, and that was their root cellar.
0: Yeah. All the old houses, any, any house that was built, um, especially out in the country, in the rural areas that was built, uh, before refrigeration had, a, always had a root cellar. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I mean, and that's another thing that we, tend to overcomplicate. I've seen some really elaborate ones. But, you know, almost everybody has a root cellar already. Mm-hmm. It's in their crawl space. Yeah. I mean, you, your crawl space stays a constant temperature around 50-some degrees, and the humidity is usually about right. Mm-hmm. And you could literally, if, if you had no other choice, you could cut a hole in your floor and use an old milk crate and lower it down into your crawl space and... Put the lid back down. You know, I mean, there's we could we could do all of these things to have the ability to preserve some food. Um, Pretty simply,
1: you know, here's uh, I told you I was going to look this up and I knew where it was at. There's another picture. I think it's in a it's in two Foxfire two or three. This is one. Uh, But look at that picture right there. Yep. So you got. There's a guy there by the name of Ray Connor or what what's that name on there yeah Ray
0: Connor, yep, yep you want me to read this little yeah it says uh Ray Connor, an avid hunter stands with one of the pots he uses for bear hunting in the background are skins from a few of his kills
1: there you go yeah, so that was my fetish and my my walk down my memory lane I read this book when I was probably I don't know ten. This is one of the books that I started reading. i why I would read something like this when I'm 10 years old. Mm-hmm. But so Josh Michaelis, this is why I have plots, because I read a Foxfire book and, mm. and Ray Connor had one pictured in there. That's awesome. And then when you look on back through here, like there's pictures of trapping box traps. Yep. I built one of those traps.
0: Yep. I built one too when I was a kid. Yeah. Sim- similar to that. Yeah.
1: Yep. And then you get over here and I don't, I forget who this is. This may be, I don't remember, but they're, they're Jake, talking about Jake Waldrop. Yep. Crow calls and yeah. and calls. I would sit around and make stuff. I made that call right there that this guy's blowing on in that right, picture. Right, I think that's a crow call. It was made out of a shirt stay and a split stick, that and the collar stays and the old shirts. It was a thin piece of. Uh, plastic that was in there, and and I I mm-hmm. cut open a shirt that yeah. I shouldn't have been cutting open, and made the reed for that thing, and you could you blow it. And that's, that's awesome, and it that all of that is right here.
0: It's right there. Truck. Yeah, it's. I mean but, this, and this is old wisdom and knowledge that is, there you can't put a price on this. Right, you can't. Right. The the only thing more valuable than this is being able to sit down next to one of these old timers. Yeah. And have them actually show you hands on how to do it, That's yeah. the only thing more valuable than these than this these books,
1: these resources, yeah, but um it's one of those things, John, that we gotta figure out. I'm telling you when you know how to do stuff like this and you're not dependent on and you're not afraid to work
0: right, it is work definitely is work
1: it gives you a sense of independence, mm-hmm. you know. I love it. the first harvest of the year. We we're talking about the green beans and potatoes with a chunk of pork. In it, yeah. You know, yeah. I always take a picture of that and it's like everything on this plate was homegrown. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. There it is.
0: No comparison.
1: There isn't no sense of accomplishment. Mm-hmm. You know, when you think about, I was out hoeing the garden and working in the garden the other day and I was thinking about different articles to write, you know, and just because that gives you an opportunity to start thinking about that. And some of the, uh, parallels of every other, every other part of your life. You know, when you're sitting there mm-hmm. and you're getting the weeds out of your garden. Yeah. And you start thinking about, are the weeds in my life? You know, what do I need to weed out of my life that I don't need? Yeah. You know, just crazy yep. stuff like that. My brain goes in those directions when I start looking yeah. at that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at it and think, when I was a kid, it was like, yeah, this sucks. I hate it. I was. I was just like, "Holy crap! Look at all mm-hmm. these green beans that we got to weed." And it was like a death sentence. And I hated it. It was hot. All my buddies were going to Sarah Land and playing in the pool, and we were, you know, hoeing green beans. And and I just I had a lot of <laughs> ill feelings towards my dad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. At this at this age of my life, and knowing that if it, if if everything away from me. If it all shut down, we can make it. That's right, that's right. And I, I've thought
0: about—I I touched on it a, a little bit earlier, I think. But I was, my son and I were talking about how long could we survive right now if we didn't eat anything outside of what we've raised here. Mm-hmm. And I think a year. I, I think we could we could survive a year. With, I mean, I'm talking about all livestock being butchered eventually. But see, that's the other thing. And he, he, he had a qu- he was like, well, but he said you're talking about like off grid, like power grid goes down, and that's a reality when the power companies are sending those emails out to people right now that there could be rolling blackouts because of this extreme heat. Yeah. So it, is, I mean, this isn't some kind of conspiracy thing. This is reality. And he said, well, how would you? You're gonna butcher animals. I said, "Well, you just butcher them as you need them." I said, "My grandma Bolin used to, if they were gonna have Sunday chicken, she'd kill chicken Saturday." Mm-hmm. They, you, it's, it's, it's meat on the hoof. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's right there. Hey, you you process it when you need it, and then, and then you, if you can preserve it by smoking it or salt curing or whatever, then you preserve what you can't eat, and uh, you know, it, you, and. I guess you could have a even have a three legged hog, you know, if you just want to take one leg. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, when we, we're we, we better, well, I better back up on that. I animal rights people just, you know, that's horrible. Oh yeah, right? they'll they'll have pictures of three legged hogs out there with my my
1: picture, and yeah, yeah. Now when we're when my my uh, grandparents were growing up, they said there wasn't any th- such thing as a roadkill chicken. So yeah. that was just supper. Yeah. You know, if, yeah. A, if somebody hit a chicken on the road out in front of the house, yeah. man, you got out there and you got that thing, you got it cleaned and that was going in the pot because mm-hmm. it was, it was going to be eaten. Right. That's that's the way people lived. Yeah. And
0: I, I had a, um, a couple years ago, I went, walked into my garage and just stepped in into the door there, the walk door and looked down, there's a rabbit there, dead rabbit and a good size rabbit. Mm-hmm. And it had... The whole back end of it, like its its hip and thigh area, was chewed up. And we have a cat out here that was capable of doing that, yeah. um, just a an old barn cat. And I just assumed that that cat had somehow cornered that rabbit or maybe the rabbit got hit and hurt or whatever. I don't know what happened, but I knew the rabbit was laying there in front of me and was very fresh, and I skinned it. Yeah. And I cooked it over an open fire and ate it. I guess. mean it it's um I, I read a book years ago called The Last American Man about Eustace Conway. Eustace Conway is one of the characters in Mountain Man, the mm-hmm. series on history or discovery, whatever it is. And I was enamored by Eustace Conway. I mean, he was just a free living, self sufficient guy, and this was before he he gained any notoriety from the Mountain Man series. And he talked about um living off a of roadkill, he, I mean, he was a very highly educated man. He went to college and had a master's or PhD and um, decided he wasn't going to live in a cubicle and wasn't going to fight the traffic and decided he was would rather be self-sufficient. Mm-hmm. And he lived in a teepee for a few years right. and saved money, uh, did a little piddly stuff on the side here and there and saved money and ended up buying land. Anyway, he talked about um, harvesting roadkill. And he said the main thing is if there's fleas on it, it's still fresh because fleas will leave. When yeah. that meat turns, the fleas won't be there anymore. So he said if you find roadkill and there's still fleas, um, and of course in the winter, you know, if it's cold out, you're pro- pretty much good to go. But, yeah, I mean, you, you got to know what you're doing, as you know, especially as you know, and, and your listeners know a hell of a lot more about this than I do. There's, way, there's things to look for in diseased animals and things. Mm-hmm. And, and fortunately, there's hunters that will harvest those diseased animals. Um, but um, I have no problem at all with with that scenario. Yeah. And the sheriff's department, you know, where I started my career years ago, we had a, a roadkill road call list. That's right. And a deer would get hit, and we had there was a long list of people in the county that would come right out and get that deer.
1: You know, yeah. when I retired three years ago, it'll be four years this year. Uh, there wasn't a list anymore.
0: Yeah, it, they've stopped it here too.
1: The people, the yep. people, they just couldn't find people to come and get it. So yep. now the county highways going out and picking up roadkill. Too road much kill. work.
0: Too much work. Yeah, and well, well, I think it's, it's just a, a lack of awareness it too, is. though. And it's the lo- it's the loss of that knowledge. And you it's the feeling.
1: Have- it's the feeling of oh, it's roadkill. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Big deal. I mean that deer could be massacred from the midsection to the head and there's still a good there's good hindquarters there there's plenty yeah. Yeah. of um I mean it just I'm getting
1: hungry talking about it Me too <laughs> I brought home I, some muskrats one time <laughs> that we did on a that we did on a uh a nuisance trapping project mm-hmm. the biologists were actually helping a, a and they were just nuisance trapped and I brought them home and cleaned them, and the kids didn't even know, and the wife didn't even know what they were eating. Mm-hmm. It's a dark, it's almost dark as chocolate, as tender as it could be. Hmm. And they're sitting there, and they're just eating it. And they're like, what kind of meat is this? And I said, what do you think it is? And Jake would be like, this is like this tastes like squirrel. You know, and he's he's just a little <laughs> bitty guy. Uh-huh. And uh, the daughter, two girls, are there eating it, and they're chowing down on it, just loving it. It's coming right off the bone. And my wife finally looks at it, and she goes, no, seriously, what is this? And I said, it's mus- it's muskrat. And they all stopped and looked at me. And all the kids were like, well, it's good. <laughs> just yeah. grease yeah. from ear to ear, buddy.
0: Yep. yep, just a short pause and right back to eating. Yep, yep, yep. yep. That's, that's the thing. I mean, there's and, – and talking about what I'm doing here, uh, growing – everything edible that I possibly can, including livestock and, you know, egg producing chickens and ducks and, um, all of that being gone, then I'll just go back down in the hills and hollers and start hunting and trapping. Mm -hmm. I mean, we need to know these skills. Our every generation, our, our kids and our grandkids need to know how to do these things because it removes a lot of fear and uncertainty. Everybody talking about beating the drum about you know, um, truck drivers are going to stop. Um, you know, thank God for our truck drivers stocking mm-hmm. the shelves for us. But um, everybody trying to throw that panic and fear into everybody. And I'm this may sound arrogant. I don't mean it to sound arrogant. I don't mean to sound like I'm a badass because you know there's plenty of guys out there. Take me out in a heartbeat with knowledge and skills, um, but I just say let's do it. Let's just get it over with. Let's quit beating the drum of fear, and let's just shut the power grid down. Let's just shut the grocery stores. I'm not ready for and that uh, yet. I got to work a few you more know, things. Out. But I'm, I'm tired of you know what uh, I'm, I'm saying though. it's like let's just get her done. Let's yeah. just do it, and we'll we'll separate the men from the boys, and we'll will come out tougher and stronger. Though so I guess my point in saying that is do, do I really want that? No, that's bravado. That's bravado. I I don't want that because there would be a lot of people suffer if that happened. Yeah. A lot of elderly people, a lot of sick people, a lot of a lot of people in cities that don't have the resources and I'm not a cold-hearted bastard, you know, I don't want that to happen either. Right. But my point is learning these skills will remove that fear. Mm-hmm. It's just like our, our background in law enforcement, and we've talked about this before, um, pretty much in depth, you and I have, because we've had some of the same experiences in law enforcement. Um, the trained law enforcement officers, the well-trained law enforcement officers, sometimes come across as pricks. People think that they're arrogant, and they're, they're, but they're not. They're prepared and trained, and they're vigilant, mm-hmm. and they're not afraid. They're not afraid of approaching a situation because they've they've trained themselves, uh, they they've had good mentors and good trainers that have that have put them at a place where they're ready.
1: Yeah, for, I'll for I'll, com- I'll comment on that real quick. Not try to not to get sidetracked, but the guy that you like, the guy that's friendly, the guy that's that's just. Everybody, Most of the time, my experience in 28 years of law enforcement, they are not the guy that you want to show no, up no. when somebody's trying to no. hurt your family, That's steal right. your stuff. Uh, I've watched video after video of those people, that, that, those types of officers. That, mm-hmm. that, uh, now, there's some of them, I'm telling you, and they're better than I am because they, they could do both things. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Uh, like the old General Mattis. Yeah be kind, be courteous, but have a plan to kill everybody you meet. Yeah. yeah. You know, and some, I knew guys that were just exactly like that. And, and, uh, but yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent. Yeah.
0: So my, my point in saying that, um, knowing that you would relate very well to that statement, um, prepare, let's prepare ourselves. Let's, and, and, you know, it's sad. It's sad because, we can talk about this preparation, and we could set up classes and workshops, and camps, and we would be labeled domestic terrorist, a militia, a militia, when it's the farthest thing from the truth. We're just nostalgic, old-fashioned, self-sufficient
1: people. Yeah,
0: it doesn't mean that we mean any harm to anyone, and it's it's sad because it's ignorance. On the side that looks at us that way, it's just ignorance. They they don't know. They haven't been exposed to this lifestyle. They think that they think that um, now. Not all of them. Some of them know damn well that we're some no, of no, a real no harm. But they want to label us. They want to yeah. label us yeah. and take. You know, I'm I'm always hesitant. Um, I like to brag on social media, just like anybody else does. But I'm hesitant to to mention any kind of resources or stockpile of anything. Right. Because you know, as well as I do, Chris, that's being monitored. Mm -hmm. They want to know where the little holdouts are going to be. They want to know where the self-sufficient neighborhoods and groups are going to be. They want to know that.
1: that ties right into another podcast we could do about, you know, how our egos and bragging on Facebook and different things can get us in trouble. Yep, Even with hounds. But, um, uh, and that's right up your alley with with your former work with the ASPCA. But yeah, I think uh, I think we probably we need to do more of these. John get together more often. But let's go out and take a look at the garden, and we'll record a segment out there, and uh, then we'll come back in here and and wrap it up. Sounds good. Let's do it. All right. Right. yeah John we're just walking around out here in the garden and looking around at everything you got going on you got a lot going on out here so we're just gonna kind of walk around and talk about it but let's uh let's start with that corn patch back there what you okay. got going on there
0: all right now this this patch of corn here is You know, it's not a huge patch, but um, I always like to do at least one little area of what's referred to as the three sisters method of planting, and it's an old Native American way of planting um, beans, corn, and some type of fall or winter squash all in the same area, and they all benefit from one another. The beans, um, the pole beans... And when we're
1: talking an area here, I mean, you said small, and this is small. This is what... Probably 15 feet long by 8 feet wide or so. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's about right.
1: And you got a lot of food growing in in this small small area here. Yeah,
0: there's a lot. There's a lot here. When it when it comes time to harvest this, it'll be a lot more than than what you would think that would come out of here. Um, So
1: yeah, lay out that lay out the system. kind of um, draw a picture of what we're looking at. Okay.
0: So the corn is is an Indian corn variety, a a dry corn that can be um, later be ground and milled um, to be to be eaten or whatever a lot of people just use it to decorate you know in the fall but um, that and that's fine but it can be used after that um, for a purpose and it can be fed to animals as well i mean it's a very versatile uh, corn dry dry type of corn and i plant it first and it gets up to about six or eight inches and then i'll go back i'll go in between the rows and plant a pole bean variety and a couple of weeks after that, two, three weeks after that, sometimes I'll plant my fall or winter squash. I've got, I've got a, um, a winter squash. I can't remember what exactly what the variety is I planted this year, but it's, it's coming up good, too, as you can see. But what happens is they, um, the beans are nitrogen-fixing. Uh, legumes will put nitrogen in the ground, and the corn will have the nitrogen, so they, they benefit from that. And the beans will climb the corn. As it grows, this corn will get up to over six feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uh, squash, the big broad leaves of the squash, will it'll grow out amongst the rows of corn, and it shades the ground and blocks weeds and helps retain moisture. So it's it's a method of planting that's tried and true, and I like to incorporate it into my, my gardens
1: at, at some point, somewhere, usually every year. So... On the the squash naturally will it come in after the harvest of the beans and the corn is yeah is that the idea
0: yep yep it'll be the last thing that'll be harvested and the the vines will start to dry and the leaves will start to dry after everything else is done and then you just go out and pick the the squash uh, the the winter squash or the small the pumpkins you could do it with pumpkins any any of the squash family and that stuff will store great in a root cellar it'll store all winter and late into the next the next season if it's the right conditions
1: okay so let's talk about the order of planting and then the order of harvest so Mm -hmm. what what order do you plant in uh the corn first okay and then
0: you come in and you put the beans in um between the rows of corn and then the squash
1: okay and then the order of harvest
0: um about the same about the same now the beans the well actually the beans will be first okay the beans will be first they'll they'll start to be harvested um Quite a bit sooner, actually, than the the corn and the, because the corn can just be left. It can be. It's not like sweet corn where you got to watch it and go get it. You can let this corn stay on the stalk like field corn.
1: Yeah. Until the stalk dries. So really. you can pick this corn in November as long as you mm-hmm. can keep the varmints out of it. Yep. Yep. That's the key. And and you've also got some natural weed control going on here with all your shaded ground.
0: Yeah, it does. It doesn't shade everything out, but it sure helps, and it helps retain that moisture.
1: That's a big thing, you know, the the current gardening techniques, you know, a lot of times we end up with spending money on gas and rototillers and different things to get weeds out when there are better ways like this. Yeah. We can maintain ground moisture, we can do weed control and we can multi multi plant or multi use Mm -hmm. you know, multi purpose a small space and produce a lot of food.
0: That's right, that's right. And it's something that I it was hard for me to get away from the traditional way of of gardening because when I was a kid, uh, my dad was That's raised, all we did. Yeah. I mean, it my dad always called it a truck patch. They right. they would they would plant, go in and disk and plow and disk and and it would be just powder dirt and they'd go back in and plant. He would put up a string line and and make straight as an arrow rows right. and plant everything and it was I'm beautiful. I'm guilty of that. I know. I, I was too for years. It was hard to get away from that. But I'll tell you what really forced me to get away from it was i don't have space yeah i have i have one acre here central indiana that's hills and hollers and i've had to make i've had to terrace i've had to do raised beds i've had to do everything to make enough space to grow what i want and what i need um we do have a little co-op here going on between three neighbors um, us and two other neighbors and there's more ground across the road that we've started to utilize but i like this method of planting, and i like this i i've I've gotten to where i'm doing a lot of rotational and seasonal planting too um you know i used to panic if i didn't get everything in the ground by mid-may first of june i thought well it's too late now i can't do anything and that's not true there's just so much you can harp you can plant a lot earlier than what people think all my brassicas my cabbage, my broccolis, kale, all that kind of stuff, I plant it as soon as I can in the spring. And I, I put it, and when I say as soon as I can, I've planted some of that stuff in March, 1st um, of April. Yeah. And I know we're still going to get snow, we're still going to get frost, but I just, I'll cover it loosely mm-hmm. with something. And the, the best broccoli and cabbages and stuff like that that I've ever had had been just hit just a little bit with frost. And it, it did something to them. I'm not an expert in this, but I know from what I see, you don't have to be an expert when the proof is in the pudding, as they say. Um, that little bit of frostbite really makes that stuff take sugar, off and
1: grow. It makes the sugar come up in it, or what do you it, think it does? It,
0: well, it does that, I guess. It, it does that also because you your lettuces and stuff like that, when, it's, when there's some cold nights, it has a real good crisp and sweet flavor to it. Um, Versus, like now, we're ha- we're having record high heats this week, and a lot of my lettuces and stuff are, have bolted. I mean, shot straight up, and and they're not going to be edible. Right for us, right they, uh, they'll they'll go to the animals or they'll be composted. So nothing gets
1: wasted here, no. All right, let me let me draw a picture here for what we're looking at because we're we're trying to describe what we going on we got going on here. But from you said one acre, and you're utilizing. A pretty, lot of it.
0: Pretty much every. Oh every yeah, bit,
1: every, every bit, bit of hand. it. So within a hundred feet of us, just in this patch that you talked about, your three sisters method, uh, you've got your squash, your beans, your corn. We talked about that. You're you've got your hand on a trellis right now that's got Concord grapes on it. Mm-hmm. We got tomato plants growing right here along this along the edge of this three sisters method corn patch.
0: Mm-hmm there's some peppers in there
1: too oh yeah we got peppers what kind of peppers we got
0: Uh, those are bell and banana peppers Bell and banana peppers yeah
1: you've heard the turkey goblin over here so there's meat Mm -hmm. and then what we got growing on this trellis back here towards the turkey that's
0: more of the pole beans the same variety they're blue lake uh, or no i'm sorry kentucky wonder uh, pole beans Uh and they're the same variety i've got growing out here with the corn and it's just, it's nice to put them over, just bend on a hog panel into a U-shape and drive some T-posts in the ground and plant your beans. And when they get up and all the way over and you start to harvest, you can literally stand under the cattle panel and pick beans.
1: Sounds like a good plan. It's better than bending over picking beans. When you, when you start to get our age, I mean my age, I'm sorry. <laughs> Coach, <right? laughs> Hey, stop gobbling. He, even the turkey is laughing. He's still laughing. Yeah, yeah he thinks he, he likes to make fun of us. We got the chicken pen right here. I mean, this is within six feet of six feet of these tomato plants. Mm-hmm. So yeah. They're
0: the reason yep, yeah, and the reason that I've designed it this way also is I have all these you'll you'll see more gates and doors on this acre than you'll see on a big ranch. I've got all of these little paddocks and little little things divided in. It all serves a purpose. I, in the fall, I open these gates um, at different intervals, and I'll let the chickens out into this garden, and they'll clean it up. They'll eat every little bit of scrap that's left in it, and they'll fertilize it for me. And there, at times, I've even let a hog in. Now, they, they don't need much time. One, right. one hog will till this up and fertilize it real quick. If you don't get him out of here, he'll wreck it. <laughs> but, but the chickens do a great job. Scratching up, they'll eat the bugs, they'll eat the slugs, everything that's left in it, and clean it up and convert it into eggs.
1: Yep. In this, and right behind, right beside the chicken patch to the left, or the chicken house to the left, I can see some remnants of onion in there. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we've you've already done an onion harvest here. Yep. Yep. This and has you've been got
0: harvested once already this year. This patch right here.
1: You've got your kale growing. Mm-hmm. And what are you going to do with this kale? I'm going to sell it to hippies for a real high price. <laughs> Uh, you had a plan uh, for it. Uh, uh we we
0: love we love kale. Um, you know that we can't let different groups of people steal um, steal our food. You know, make us feel like we can't eat it anymore. That's right. K- kale's still good. That's right. Um, and I I love hippies too. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I love hippies, punk rockers.
1: Hey, if it wasn't for hippies, we'd have probably it's, lost a lot of this technology. Honestly,
0: yeah, honestly, it is. It yeah. is true. I mean, they. But anyway, we won't. We don't want to get sidetracked. Yeah, this kale, I'm gonna let it. I'm just going to let it go, and it'll it'll get big and bushy and go to seed most likely, and it'll overwinter really well. um I'll throw some straw over it this fall, and then next winter it'll come up bigger or next spring it'll come up bigger and stronger, and I'll prune it down mm-hmm. and it'll it'll shoot up new leaves it'll be better than these. There's a lot of things you can overwinter you can just put it as I like to say, put it to bed for the winter throw some straw over it and Um, your
1: chickens coming out here aren't going to affect that
0: they won't hurt it they won't hurt it that much because it's even if they did prune it down um the root and now you know if you left them out here too long Mm -hmm. they'd scratch it up right they'd get to the root and get it scratched up but i don't leave them out here that long at a time i leave them out here just long enough to clean things up
1: let's move down here before we dive heat exhaustion and dehydration all right well we got going on here to the right
0: uh, this is my first planting of potatoes. Uh, these are red, the red variety. I don't remember the exact name, but the little red potatoes, um, what my folks and my grandparents always called early potatoes. They're the ones that you harvest with the green beans, you know, make you a big pot, oh, throw yeah. a piece of pork in there. Um, and this is, I use what's called the Ruth stout method um, on my potatoes. I used to do the till and hill and, and plant the potatoes and go to all that work and and I was introduced to this method by, uh, Wolf Beach Farms out in Greencastle, and you just throw your potatoes down on some good ground, and some good, you know, ground that's, that's, uh, somewhat loose. You you don't want to throw them right down on hard clay or anything, but, um, throw the potatoes down, and then cover them with some old hay. Get, pull the old hay out of your animal enclosures, or just get a bale of hay, and throw the hay on top, and water it real good, and those potatoes will grow underneath that hay and they don't have to fight that soil push that soil out yeah. of the way they the potatoes get big and um
1: what's you, it like to harvest them
0: uh they just pull right up yep. you grab what I grab the potato and 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 pull on it and it comes right up there's not a lot of digging
1: i've yeah. got a
0: potato fork around here somewhere but it's kind of retired
1: <laughs> <laughs> how many variety of potatoes are you growing on your one um, acre here
0: i've got these red I've got the big white um, varieties, the the big, like, baking potato varieties. Um, And I've got some of the uh, deep purple. They're like, you see them all in the store, what they call fingerling potatoes. You harvest those when they're pretty small, too. Mm -hmm. Real dark purple. They're full of a lot of good vitamins and antioxidants and stuff. The darker the the purples and the reds are really just full of...
1: We haven't taken... We literally have not taken... 10 steps from when we started recording this, and we've already talked about several varieties, and now we're going back outside here, and you've got your blackberries growing right out here yep. against the fence for this little enclosure. I'm, I'm going to take a picture of all this. But... Okay.
0: Yeah, these are thornless blackberries, and I got these starts from a friend of mine um, probably five, six years ago, and they just, they're just they doing great. This, this year is, is a really good year so far for berries and fruit. Mm-hmm. I've seen bumper crops everywhere. Everybody's just, their things are doing really well. And the birds know it too, by the way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, these are thornless blackberries. They're they're loaded. There's more on here than I've seen. And then on the other side of the gate, I've got the red raspberries. Um, I got these starts from my mom probably, shoot, probably 20 years ago now. Yeah. And they, they go crazy. I mean, these things, if, if I let them, I see a red one back there, a ripe one hanging on top back there um don't eat it you won't get any more i know i if i let these go they just spread all over this whole garden they they just really do well if a guy wanted to just grow a bunch of a big patch of red raspberries mm-hmm. get a start of this whatever this variety is it's an old variety yeah and they do great uh this grapevine that we just walked under is like you mentioned earlier uh it's the old concord grapes um you know, they're full of seeds and stuff, but they're just that good, deep, dark purple grape variety that's good for making jellies and preserves. And this is only its second year, I think. If I recall, it's its second year, and it looks like it's going to produce.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then uh, you got some more peppers over here, it looks like, Yeah. in I a guess, raised
0: bed right here. Yeah, I had this raised bed. I actually, I built this crate to transport feeder pigs and we ended up hauling them a different way and I thought oh, I'm going to use that crate for something and I brought it back here and filled it with horse manure and dirt and I've already harvested um, some greens out of here, kale and mustard uh, greens out of here and I just replanted these peppers in here, these are cayenne peppers we yeah. will see how they do in the raised bed but um, raised beds are great for hilly ground and for you know just um, to get things up Off the ground, away from pests and you know, rabbits and stuff like that. But they, they're a little more work to keep watered. I mean, Mm -hmm. they don't get the moisture that the plants get from being right in the ground. But they're they're worth it. I I like them. Yeah, I'll show you several more here in a little bit. But I've got sunflowers planted all the way around.
1: Yeah, right up against this raised bed, we got a plant. What's this plant in the front? That's lavender. Got lavender in the front.
0: Yeah, my wife makes soaps and and she makes essential oils and stuff, and she she uses the lavenders for that, and we use the lavender in the sauna in the winter.
1: Yeah, and uh, then what, what's the greens here?
0: Uh, that's some random random greens that uh, the seeds fell out when we sowed them in this raised bed, and they're just they're still growing there, and that you can see the bugs are getting to them quite a bit, but I'll let these grow on up and pull them and feed them to the hogs or the chickens. Yeah, nothing gets wasted.
1: Everything's got a purpose. Yep. Yep. Got an Um, onion going to seed here. You got strawberry patch here that's just within 20 feet of your cabbage and everything right here.
0: Yep, we've got this little strawberry patch that um, I've got June bearing varieties and ever bearing varieties. And uh, these came from Wolf Beach Farms. And um, this vine is a volunteer, but it's a wild grape. This is a wild grape vine. Like when you're in the woods, you see those little... Tiny grapes and yep. they're they're just packed full of flavor. So I'm gonna let this thing go. I'm gonna let it grow up around this fence and see what it does.
1: It's got them. They've got a mind of their own. I'm mm-hmm. constantly fighting them and yep. and stuff down there at home. Yeah. Well, hey, I think that gives us a pretty good idea of what we're dealing with. We got the smokehouse right here. We got a picture of it last time I was here. You just put in a sauna and you're you're working on your greenhouse. Yep.
0: Yep. And we do. Are you sure you don't want to go look at this little spot real quick? Yeah, we better. All right. As we go through this gate. Um, I've got this, what is this, about a 24 by 4 or 5 feet patch of nothing but mammoth sunflowers. Yep. Um, these things will get massive. And the sunflower seeds, If if you don't have a place for nut trees or you're impatient, the sunflower seed is the next best thing. I mean that everybody knows the nutty flavor, and and but you get a real quick harvest. Yeah. And that, um, you take that big head, that big sunflower head, and and you can dry it, hang it somewhere, dry and and uh, kind of dark and let it dry, and you can harvest those seeds, and put them in a, a dry uh, brown paper bag and put them in a, in a closet somewhere and let them continue to dry all season. You can roast them in the oven. I mean, they're, they're just full of calories and good stuff. And, yep. and whatever you don't, whatever you don't use, feed to your animals.
1: Yeah. You can and, put a whole f- head in that chicken coop right there and they'll yep. clean it up.
0: Yep. They love them. And this, um, the stalk, everything about this is edible for these animals. Um, in fact, you can see where we've had to barricade that fence. We had a calf in here. She's moved over with the other cows now, but she was she figured out she was big enough she could push that wire right in. She ate a whole row of those sunflowers before. <laughs> hey, there's before your potato she,
1: fork. That, the handles broke oh, there out it of is. it.
0: There's the old retired potato fork. <laughs> and then this along this orchard fence, this, this little orchard has we have two uh pink lady apples and then a peach tree in between. Um they're all starting to produce pretty well this is about the fifth or sixth year for these apple trees and i've pruned them way down every spring the peach tree's doing okay it we did have an issue the goats got in here and almost killed that peach tree but it came back you can see the big wound there yeah the,
1: yeah um, and the chickens and the turkeys and everything are grazing they're yeah. they're free ranging right under the, yep. the trees here yeah so.
0: we've let them back out normally um well, this this was just a couple of weeks ago. This this orchard looked like that area over there. It was just full of that green grass. No and kidding. Yeah, it was full. Yeah. And when this heat wave hit, um, we let the chickens start coming back out here because they can get in the shade. It's right. a lot cooler in at the front than it is the back of this chicken coop. So they've been out here, and it didn't take them long to eat that grass, pick it down. Yeah. But they they won't hurt any of that. They don't hurt the orchard at
1: all. Well, we got growing against that. Uh, this
0: is peas, snap peas, um, or sugar snap peas. Um, starting to get a little wilt on top that I need to address there. But um, I planted them all along the orchard fence, and they're a nitrogen fixing. They're a legume, so they're going to put nitrogen in the ground here. It's going to be beneficial for everything. And then I took a lot of this old hay with manure in it, where we had a round bell out here all winter and um, I've spread it in front on top of cardboard. I put cardboard down to block the weeds and then put the hay on top of that and it'll break down really well. The cardboard will be gone in a month. Right. It'll it'll compost into the ground, but by then the weeds that were under it will be dead. Yeah. So it's just creating new new garden new garden space by by doing that.
1: Do you own a rototiller?
0: I do. I do. Do you um, use it? Very, very seldom anymore. Yeah. Very seldom. I'll, I'll use it to, uh, if I'm going to break a brand new bed, sometimes I'll use it to get rid of the turf and stuff.
1: Yeah. yeah. But,
0: but I don't I don't till much anymore.
1: All right, man. I think that's not all that's here. I mean, we got sheep right across the fence here. Um, what do you got in the back pen back there?
0: Uh, peacocks.
1: That's, you got you oh yeah. what do you do with the peacocks uh, they are kind of they're my wife's kind of hobby she likes them they're
0: I mean really if you were gonna raise them though we have two peahens and one peacock in there right now mm-hmm. and they're two years old um, those things are crazy expensive if you sell you could sell a pea chick especially a pea hen um, I mean you can almost name your price really cup two three four hundred bucks
1: that's that's more so, lucrative than sell than selling. them coonhound puppies (laughs) yeah
0: so we could start a yeah a peacock farm here and but she just she loves to mess with them and i'm i'm planning on making their enclosure is going to be expanded quite a bit i'm going to go up i'm going to have my son-in-law's a lineman so he has all the stuff the tools and everything we're going to put cable up in the trees down to the ground and we're going to make a big enclosure where they can fly up onto the tree limbs
1: really yeah,
0: because peacocks they, they need a lot of space, uh-huh to, to really get up and fly and stretch right. their wings and yeah. yep, so that's that's on my list of things to do here.
1: Well, let's uh let's go in the house and yeah, let's rehydrate and yep I should have brought another T-shirt maybe. <laughs> it's hot. It's supposed to be 97 here today. It's getting there quick. All right, so we're back in the house and uh took a look at the garden there and got the layout there. Let's let's kind of wrap this whole thing up. Um John, what you're doing out there, I mean you're using every available space. We saw the 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 gardening methods you're using and you're producing a lot of food out there in a very small space. And I th- I'm I'm going to say you said it earlier. You said you think you could last a year, but by the time you harvest seeds and you replant, mm-hmm. and you use those sheep to have lambs in the spring, you got a Billy goat and a and a mm-hmm. you know, yeah, and nanny goats out there. You can make more lambs or make more baby goats, right? Yeah, you got if, chickens. If, you, if you
0: look at it that way, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're sus-
1: this is a rolling, sustaining operation you got going, right? Yeah, it really is. Yeah, well,
0: um, I I feel like it is too. I I do. I and I, I'm I'm always careful to not get comfortable and say, okay, we've arrived. This is we're good. We're good to go.
1: That's right. It's a constant. We talk about, about that all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Never be that person that that f- refuses to learn. Right. There's, uh, there's so much to learn. I mean,
0: just like we, like we talked about out at the garden, how hard it was for me to get away from that traditional rototilling. Yeah. I mean, I'd used to think, well, how in the world am I going to grow a garden if I can't rototill? Right. There's, uh, what am I going to do? How am I going to keep the weeds at bay? How am I going to, I got to plant this stuff in a straight row so I can get the tiller down between the rows. That's right. And it's not true at all. I mean, if that works for you, fine. I'm again, like I said, I'm not beating a drum. I do it I'm because one, I'm one way or another. It's I,
1: the only, the reason why I still do it is because I'm a Marine and we like straight lines <laughs> yeah, and stuff. You do, you know, yeah, you do. You got stuff have, that's gotta, not straight, just drives me it, crazy. Yeah, it's
0: got to drive you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it, you know, if I had, like, we didn't go across the street. Um, we'll we'll do that another time, I guess. But we, there's a patch of corn over there that my son-in-law is putting in, and he's doing it. You know, he's staggering it. You know, a week or two between. Yeah, blocks. Right, and it's it's the old it's the old way. He tilled it up and planted it, and he's using some uh, stuff that some preen and stuff to.
1: It's the intermediate way. Yeah, what you're doing is the old way. Mm -hmm. He's doing intermediate. You went back to the old. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. He he likes the newer ways uh, of doing (laughs) things, and and, um, that's fine because it all comes together and it's beneficial to the family. And to those that are involved in this little co-op, uh, either way, I'm not going to tell him don't do it that way, and he's not going to tell me don't do it your way. We right. just we just do it, and it works.
1: I'm sure he likes the strawberries. I'm sure he likes the herbs. <laughs> yeah. I bet he likes the sauna. Has he ever been over and come come over and sat in the sauna?
0: I think he did. I yeah. think he did with my daughter uh, maybe for a short period this yeah. past winter. Yeah, there yeah. you go. Yeah, there. It it was everybody. That it's kind of funny because people are hesitant to get in there. You don't. I I got into that because I went to South Dakota a couple years ago and was so fortunate to have. I've got some friends out there and and one of them is a uh, Lakota uh, medicine man. And I mean, this is just a just a. Did great you go time. through a sweat? I went through. I went. He invited me into a sweat lodge ceremony. Did they
1: make smoke peyote and take <laughs> no. like mushroom enemas no, and no, stuff thank, like thank that? Thank
0: God there none of that there was none of that I, hey you know you know being an old cop i was i was like okay what's really going to happen here i'm not doing i'm i don't i'm not into this mind altering um, but you know what none of it was necessary no, there was no substance used except for the extreme heat and the ceremony and it was mind altering it was mind altering all by itself it was a spiritual I'm not a religious guy. We could do a whole podcast on how organized religion is detrimental. Go ahead. (laughs) Let's (laughs) go (laughs) into the sweat. Let's let's keep talking. Let's keep talking sweat. Um, But, man, I'm telling you, it was something. It it was, and it was intense. It was intense. I mean, it was hot. It was an actual Native American sweat lodge that he constructed, and, um, to hear him sing those songs in in that in that Native American language, and and beat on that drum, and that whole thing was it was healing for me, mm-hmm. physically and spiritual healing. And I had made up my mind right then that I'm going to have access to something like that. Now I wasn't there was no way i could I could uh, copy that tradition and right. and the ceremony. Right. But I knew that the sweating in that extreme heat in that steam sauna environment was good for me. Mm -hmm. And so I made a hybrid of a Finnish sauna and a Native American sweat lodge. And um, used an old wood stove and stacked stone all around it, both sides and on top of it. And uh, used my Angus cow hides to help insulate the inside of the wall and, and have something to sit on soft. Um,
1: so you didn't get splinters in your <laughs> – yeah, <laughs> yeah, I got gotcha.
0: you. Yeah, you can go in there pretty uh, pretty uh, nature-like um, yeah. if you want to. Um, and I, I insulated the thing. I showed you that I insulated it with the wool that we sheared off the sheep. And um, it's awesome. In the winter, you get in the middle of the winter, jan- after the holidays pass, January, February, and those gray, cold days just drag – you fire that sauna up, get up to about 150 degrees, and climb in there and start pouring water on those hot rocks. Oh man, it's it's good stuff. Yeah, it's, and that's I mean nothing fancy, just a hillbilly sauna. <laughs> <laughs> you just need some firewood and some water to throw on on the rocks.
1: And uh, but yeah. So you, you know. recommend any other good books? We can let's we need we need to wrap this up. Uh, but uh... Week, are we are we you, you and I can go for days. I, I
0: know, and and we're gonna get we're gonna get somebody on social media saying, man, that just I tried to listen to that, but those guys just went on and on. That guy just goes on and on. <laughs> I'd love to read the. No, copy. that's no. all right. It, all right. It, so
1: we got the Encyclopedia for Country Living by Carla Emery. Yep. Hi, this book, you can tell you've used it a lot. Yep. Is this the only copy you got, or have you got another worn down copy? No, nope, that's that's the only copy yep. I
0: have right now. I had an older copy, I think i gave it to somebody loaned it to somebody the uh, foxfire books The Fox any, books. any other any th- that's that's all right now that uh, the I starter mean, kit yeah that's what i would recommend with without overwhelming people with a whole bunch of different books but i as you could see i mean like even right over there there's some books just different books that i picked up
1: um yeah yeah, for we're not even going to release those titles right now, just because <laughs> yeah. we've got a homework assignment yep. with the Encyclopedia yep. of Country Living. But uh, uh, spend time with your elders. Find those old
0: folks that that nobody ever talks to because they think they're just old has-beens. You know, the mentors. It's, it's a, yeah, find a mentor. it's a shame that people don't have that kind of respect for their elders anymore. I, I shouldn't say that. I don't know what I'm being presumptuous, but it's
1: yeah. Um, find somebody that knows the old ways. Yeah. Find
0: those old guys. Like you guys, you, you houndsmen, you've got those old elders in your group that, yeah. Roy Clark down there grows, sit around and listen to them for hours and hours and Mm -hmm. hours. And they're going to give you information. That's it's priceless.
1: Right. Priceless. Right. Yeah, I guess I guess people say, yeah, well, these guys are just alarmists. They're just they're just trying to you know buying into the scare tactic type stuff. It's not that for me at all. It's just yeah, it's same here. it's I like being prepared, and I like having the knowledge to be prepared. And uh, uh, it's just one of those deals that that I enjoy it. It's mm-hmm. it, growing a garden, growing your own food. I did all the cannon last year almost of it. My wife helped me do some of it, but uh it's just therapeutic and mm-hmm. when you walk in and you look at the shelves of food that are sitting there then there's a sense of accomplishment and like you said security. Yeah. Freedom and security. Yeah. That you did it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It removes it removes the unknowns and the fear. Yeah. You know. Just like the only the thing that first the... time you jumped off the diving board, first time you took off on the bicycle by yourself. Okay? Yeah, it, it's all it's all about jumping in and just doing
1: it. Next first time thing. we get together, we'll we'll kind of take a deep dive. Maybe I could come back over and we could talk about the. Uh, food preservation yeah you know
0: let's plan a fall a fall visit yeah we're in the we're in
1: the we're in the growing season right now the Mm -hmm. harvest season is coming yeah and uh we'll do some stuff on preservation of food because there's some smoking and salting and cold curing and all kinds of stuff that we can talk about we'll fire up the smokehouse there you go yep all right john thanks a lot man i appreciate your time
0: yeah i appreciate it appreciate the opportunity again. i hope somebody gets something out of it that they can use oh i'm sure they will all right thanks a lot
1: Mm -hmm. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast. I know that that was not directly hound related, but it's been something that has been weighing on me pretty heavy. I look at social media. I see all the naysayers and the doomsday experts that are telling us where we're headed and what's going to happen. I'm not going to let it happen to me. We're here to find solutions, not talk about the problems. I hope this episode will cause you to take a personal inventory of where you're at and what you can regain control over in your life. When you live simple and you live free, you're not giving that control to anybody else. That is true freedom. The houndsman did it before us, and we can do it again. Until next time, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine.